Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Thanks for tuning in on this glorious Tuesday evening as we say goodbye to winter and big hello to spring. My name is Nimrod Tumbele and I'm delighted to share this space and time with you, beloved listeners, especially you, the listener of Beyond Governance Show. As always, we try to showcase the latest thinking and insights on some of the social economic challenges facing the country. What is unique about the show is that whilst we debunk issues, we always seek to find solutions. We seek to co-create solutions that could reignite hope. We are dealers in hope, for, for hope has become a currency that has lost meaning to so many people who have banked on a political, uh, uh, political system for salvation political system that has disappointed disappointed them gravely, I might add. Tonight, I'm asking a question. What business unity South Africa's new leadership will be doing differently to support the economic recovery? In making sense of our loaded question, we joined by Professor Bonang Mohale, who is a chancellor of, um, at the University of the Free State, the chairperson of Bedvest, and now the president of Business Unity South Africa. One of the business, one of the things that business has done well, uh, is the notion of succession planning. The ascension of Bonang Mahale and Andre Go to the leadership of Busa is yet another example on how to manage transit, how to manage transition, how to take baton from one leader to another. What is so difficult about, you know, public service emulating these, these basic management practices that has been tried and tested? The public service should learn something from private sector. And I was also pleased to hear the deputy president of UDM, um, who was very crystal on the same issue. He didn't mince his words um, as, as in our conversation last week. He said the decaying leadership in parliament is, um, um, is wherein there is a overwhelming majority of MPs who are old and yet you know, holding on to, to the position for dear life. Clearly, there's something wrong with the picture. In his view, Parliament needs to have new leadership, new blood, for it to become a, a, an oversight institution that has the best interest of the populace, as it were. If you missed that conversation, not to worry. Simply go to our website, download it, and reflect on it. As part of reflecting, um, I also want you to encourage you to weigh in by asking uh, the, uh, my guest tonight, Ndadebona Mahale, any questions, for I know he'll be quite keen to respond to all your questions. Our SMS line is 34519. The telegram is 061-895-1019. And of course, my Twitter handle is at Mbele Nimrod. Before we delve into the, our program, allow me to thank someone and his team. They are back on your radio tomorrow in the same vein I also want to uh, applaud the, uh, the, my team for making this particular show a success. Um, now let's get into the gist of our conversation. Dadam Hallo, once again, let me join the South African chorus in congratulating you in the nomination, uh, 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 nomination and election of the uh, as the president of Busa. I'm sure you will work collegially and professionally with your deputy president, Adrian Go, uh, as well as the entire executive team. Ntate Nimrod Mbele Litebele Thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity just to have a relaxed conversation with you uh, and your listeners. 
the AGM was yesterday afternoon. So I'm brand new out of the box. Absolutely. And thank you so much for the wonderful warm words of encouragement. No, uh, most definitely you're welcome, Dadam Hale. Um, as we perhaps maybe get into the gist of our conversation, um, as a new leadership, the question one might ask is, what is the unique selling proposition of, of Busa in your current leadership? Maybe let me answer that question by saying, you know, it was the former father of democracy, President Kholisa Nelson Mandela, who implored us that the greatest glory of living lies not in never falling, but rising up every time you fall. So South Africa has fallen now. It has been falling probably for the last 15 years. The West is the nine wasted years. But we are a resilient bunch. This too will pass. We will emerge like a legendary phoenix out of these ashes. I'm reminded of George Orwell when he said, the further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those that speak it. So what we want to do differently at Business Unity South Africa is to speak the truth. So just nine years into democracy, I felt absolutely blessed and humbled to be a part of about 127 organizations that were invited by then Deputy President Tabombeki to the Skukuza camp in the Kruger National Park to seriously work on business unity. So a few of us were subsequently asked to reconvene a few weeks later at the Mopani camp of the same Kruger National Park to formalize the agreement that was to be known as the Mopane Memorandum of Understanding that gave birth to Business Unity South Africa. This is the apex organization. It's an organization of all organizations, not just individual businesses or companies. Ndate Kopane, Patrice Mutsipe, was elected the inaugural president. The BMF's Baba Begisibia, we call him Sotobe, became its inaugural managing director with a measly budget of only 7 million rent. He was succeeded later by another BMF member, Obabujeri Vilagazi. And then Mefu Timtoba was the first woman to be the president. And Meno Makabiso Machokweni was the first woman CEO. So I'm absolutely humbled to be entrusted with an organization with such a rich history. So, of course, Utatu, uh, Dr. Sipo Mila Pichani, the immediate past president, Martin Kingston, uh, the deputy president, they've done a sterling piece of work under the most difficult of circumstances. There's Kasim Kuvadia, we call him Kas for short, who is the CEO um, of, of Bursa at the moment, who's trying to make sure that the center holds. But of course, this would not be fair, my brother, without my saying, uh, you know, these are usually deadly times, um, we we still mourn the passing away of Dr. Chabulani Albert Mabusa, who handed over this baton or the baton to to Dr. Uh, Sipomila Pichana. So we remember him with fond, fondness. 
So Busan BBC ultimately created what is now called business for South Africa. It's an incredible affirmation made up of individuals who have volunteered their knowledge, skills, and capacity in order to respond quickly to the coronavirus pandemic with agility and to help develop a set of proposals as to where the economy currently is and where it is going without the usual constraints of nor undermining the mandated forum. So one thing that we are going to do differently is to make sure that as we engage, interact, and interface, especially with government, that we are honest, that we are critical, courageous, but nonetheless crucial conversations that we should have, we absolutely have. I'm reminded of a Nigerian scholar who said, Without morality, honesty, and accountability, what then is a government but a bunch of thieves? I think South Africa is rapidly deteriorating into another failed state until and unless we can arrest these bad, bad tendencies, these bribery, stealing, and cheating as encapsulated in what we broadly refer to as state capture, because state capture is much, much more than corruption. Thank you very much for that insight, Dr. Mahali. And I certainly agree with you on the following issues. Um, on the issue of honesty, you know, being a critical thought leader um, and also engaging with government truthfully, it's certainly a value proposition that nobody can question or nobody can claim that it is not useful. For we are in the current quagmire purely because the morality of the, the administration system had completely collapsed. And, and, and you do, you, I mean, by referring to the state capture, you certainly hit it on a nail. But as we proceed on the same trajectory of trying to see how BUSA will, will act, or behave differently, one has to look at the number of business plans which has been developed by both or in consultation with business, uh, one being the economic recovery under the leadership of President Ramaphosa. The question which South Africans always want to know is, we, we haven't had efficacy on, of all the plans Others would argue that 20% of all the plans uh, have seen the um, have seen the light of the day. The rest, 80%, there's absolutely no execution. The question which South Africans want to hear from from your end, in terms of uh, in terms of execution of the great plans, what is that to be done differently? Again, in the execution of the plans. Let me start by being absolutely direct. You know the the effect that the leader has in any organization used to be about 30% in 2010. Today is probably 40%. So good leader, good organization. The corollary is also true. Bad leader, bad organization. The same with countries. So when we have a bold, fearless, and determined president of the country, everything is possible. A president that is excited about transforming our country puts the African child at the center 
to ensure that the story of Africa is different and allows business to do everything is possible. But of course, it depends on all of us. It will take bold decisions. But the one thing that we mustn't do is to allow our challenges to distract us and stop our vision. So my brother, for me, you know, business developed and shared its own economic recovery plan under the aegis of business for South Africa called the economic recovery plan and made it clear that as always, business wants to help, not to rebuild, but to repurpose the economy post the pandemic. Because you see, the developed business understands that it is manifestly in business's own interest to drive for change, address inequality, and help deliver an inclusive socioeconomic growth. That our people don't just want charity from businesses, but they want business as customers. And that to create jobs in large numbers is actually creating markets of the future. Because if business doesn't succeed in this critical mission of helping to deliver a South Africa of Kholishasa, Nelson Mandela's dream, the South Africa we have all been praying for, thereby attaining nation-building, social cohesion, and social justice in our own lifetime, there will be no business in 20 years' time. So there must be a greater use of businesses' vast and experienced resources. It is a critical partner, and because of its centrality and contribution, it must be taken much more seriously. Not called names, not white-ended, nor scapegoated. You see, business wants to continue to be constructive, to talk frankly and honestly. Business wants to be a part of the solution, and for that, it needs clear direction from government, it needs a cabinet that is aligned and pragmatic. A government that values meritocracy and honesty, not just beholden to ideology. Business thrives under appropriate conditions, under a conducive environment, and where there is regulatory certainty and policy stability. Therefore, hard decisions need to be made. And there are significant levers to be pulled to get the country out of the sub-investment grading, to accelerate max, mass vaccine rollout, but to speed up more vaccination site accreditations. We need to increase our investments a little bit. We need to catapult our economic growth and continue to do well by doing good. You see, Litabella, capital flows to where it is partnered, valued, appreciated, and protected. As business, I think we lament the fact that this sixth administration continues to put the party before country. That this country has squandered a golden opportunity to further rationalize cabinet. That we continuously fail to look beyond the party for demonstrable talent. And in fact, this administration is the very first that has not yet engaged business on a bilateral basis and therefore still without a formal and structured business and government forum. So all the engagements that we have had up until now 
have been at, at multilateral forums or fora with other social partners. So we must together build and cement relationships, of course, with all social partners and resuscitate, amongst others, NEDLEC with the requisite senior leadership, with the required effectiveness and fluidity as a platform that is fit for purpose since the formation of NADLEC in 1995. So, as I conclude, there's a need to review the structure, the processes, and how we work to, amongst others, avoid duplicating work that has already been done. Back to you, Litebele. Thank you very much for that insight. Perhaps maybe this is the reason why most of the grand plans that South Africa has produced fail um, in, in the implementation phase, purely because there's a lot of duplications. There's no sense of, of, of unity. There's no sense of purpose. There is no sense of coherence. Um, hence, there are issues relating to uh, implementation of the grand plans that you have. One of the issues that you have raised, which I'm sure listener, the listener who, who's currently glued on their radio um, as we speak, wants to see how the government or the ruling party, at what point will they move away from putting um, the party before the people? For most of these issues clearly suggest that the, the, the party is putting um, uh, bureaucrats, officials, politicians in particular, ahead of the citizens. Surely that is part of the part of the social contract that needs to be elevated if the implementation of the plans would 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 would, would take precedent. Your your take on that particular issue. In fact you have hit the nail on the head, Litebele, when I'm Hulanwaka. One, because you see, when a president of the Republic of South Africa takes an oath of office, the president says, I take this oath and promise to uphold, respect, and protect the Constitution. By so doing, the president says, I'm going to be the president not of my party, but of the whole of South Africa. I'm going to be the president of Gauteng and the Western Cape. I'm going to be the president of young and old people, male and female, black and white. Therefore, when a president says, like the former president did, that no, 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 I put the party first. Actually, you are contravening your oath of office. Because as a president of the republic, you are required to always act in the best interest of the party and not in the best in, sorry, literally, in the best interest of South Africa, Inc., and not in the best interest of the country. The same way that in business, when we talk at the company, look at the Companies Act, or even um, King Four, we say fiduciary responsibility is defined as acting in the best interest of the entity, comma, and not in the best interest of the shareholders, nor in the best interest of the employees and you know there are many examples where we have gotten this right as a country because we are only a 27 year old uh, democracy we are a teenager literally in the second half of 2012 remember our economy was under pressure due to the unabating wave of strikes which engulfed the country at that time so in October of 2012 then President Zuma 
convened a high-level meeting of all the social partners at the insistence of business when we came back from the World Economic Forum. This was a timely intervention which we welcomed as business. The outcome of this high-level engagement was the social compact that you are referring to, Litebe, with a package of urgent interventions aimed at alleviating the pressure on the economy and address causal factors for the violent strikes the country was experiencing at that time. This was a decisive leadership intervention at a time that the country was experiencing these violent strikes, which did not only have a negative impact on the country's mining and agricultural sector, but on the overall investor sentiment. So Busa has also not only endorsed our current National Development Plan 2030, but is actively engaging with government in an effort to find ways to enable collective implementation of this plan. Because, W you're absolutely right. Our problem has never been the availability of resources, the adequacy of our budget. It has always been doing the execution. I think it was General George Patton who said, great wars are won by good execution, not just great plans. Because good execution will save even a mediocre plan. We have learned that when you develop plans, don't wait until it's perfect. Just kind of do. And as you do, fine-tune and tweak as you go along. This is what works. This is what can be changed. This is what can be modified. That's what good implementers do and indeed understand. You see, in, in August of 2012, business and government then held a follow-up high-level bilateral meeting. The focus of that engagement was the implementation of the FDP, because the plan itself was perfect. Just like the Reconstruction and Development Plan, or RDP, it was perfect, not because it addressed all our problems, not because it had no faults, it was perfect because labor signed off on it, business signed off on it, government signed off on it. To this end, it was agreed that joint technical teams, which will be co-chaired by business and government, would be established to develop an action plan to work on the collaborative efforts between government and business to improve education and skills development outcomes as one area that we looked at. The second one, we looked at a regulatory environment conducive to investment and ease of doing business. Just, 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 just on that point, because it's a very pertinent point, which I want um, to, to probe a little bit further. Um, uh, for I think it, it's very important that I, I don't, we, we, we don't proceed. Um, this is Beyond Governance at High FM. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa, is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Thanks for uh, staying tuned. Before we wanted to, before we had that uh, a, a pause, um, I was just you know intrigued by my guest tonight, who's no longer a stranger to the show. If you've just joined us, his name is Bonang Mahale. He's he's just been ascended to the position of uh, uh, president of Busa, and he's sharing his thoughts and insight on what kind of trajectory that the organization will be taking forward under his leadership. One of the issues that that Mohali Abusa has always lamented on is issues around uh, labor regulations, making it easier to start business. 
policy certainty, political and political stability, and the rule of law. And and amongst others, the 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 have been quick wins. My sense is that, you know, my sense is that the quick wins um, aren't coming through. Let me make an example: the release of the spectrum. Why is it taking so long to have the release of the spectrum? For we all know that had government moved with speed, had government alongside business and other social partners moved with speed, the release of the spectrum would have been a and relatively easier, uh, 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 low or low hanging fruit. What could have been an issue? I want you to comment on the release of the spectrum, the issue around, uh, policy or labor regulations, which are supposedly too tight for business. Your comment, please. Literally. And again, I could not agree with you more. It took us 10 years to talk about digital migration. Five ministers later, we are still talking about digital migration. Zimbabwe had TV before us. Zimbabwe has digital. We are still on analog as we speak today. And we, we say we're short of cash, but we've got these assets like Spectre. And we said, on the spectrum, just auction it. Because an auction, you don't need a process, you don't need a public-private partnership, you don't need lawyers. It's your asset. You go out to market and you say, you know what, by Friday at 12 o'clock, we'll open the envelopes and we'll give it to the highest bidder. That's all you have to do. Honest, open, transparent, and at 12 o'clock, you open. It is possible that we can bank no less than 20 billion South African rents, if we were to auction this to major telco companies, because they want it. But of course, we are always balancing whether we give it to the usual suspects, which is Vodacom, MTN, and Telcom, and now CLC, or we use this opportunity to create black industrialists. So in 27 years, we must have learned something. We must be good at something. And let's just make a choice, decide, and then go and do it. So now we have been begging government, many administrations to say, you used to own 100% of Vodacom, you sold a stake, now you are a minority shareholder, um, and it came out of Telcom, by the way, and MTN used to be part of Transnet, um, uh, Telephony, Transtel, in short, it was one of the subsidiaries. Auction the spectrum, get some funds, and then implement them to where they are needed the most like health, like housing, like education. Lastly, you speak about labor. So for us, we have always said we need a labor relations environment that instills investor confidence and infrastructure rollout program that acknowledges government's role to roll out public investment while also recognizing the private sector's role as a provider of skill, technical and project management capacity, as well as funding specific measures to ensure this notion of an inclusive socio-economic growth through the implementation of transformation um, and, and interventions. You see, Litebe, when we say a much more labor-friendly environment, we mean it must be easy for people to find jobs. Don't make it difficult, but also make it easy that when you have stolen and you are caught red-handed, 
that you are dismissed because you have been given an employer book, the rules have been explained to you, you have been trained. It shouldn't be easy for a company to go and settle the CCMA because it's cheap. Because otherwise, you are using up expensive executive time over months before really landing up on an outcome. At the moment, if you run a business, you know that one of your worst nightmares is to be taken to the Commission for Conciliation, Mediation and Arbitration because it has become an industry on its own. And yet in business, even though we have got a contract and we've got lawyers, we know it's expensive and it takes long, we have included as a, a clause there that is called Alternative Dispute Resolution. That when we don't agree about something, we go to a third party and say, look, these are the facts. Make your ruling. Whatever the ruling is, it will be binding on both of us. But what we have seen in this country, especially through the nine wasted years, is that, no, 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 you start at the Johannesburg High Court and you lose the case. Then you take it to the Appeals Court. Then you lose the case. Then you take it to uh, the Supreme Court of Appeal. And then you end up at the Apex Court, which is called the country. By that time, it has taken 10 years. And Justice delayed is justice denied. There is no way that we can address the lowest levels of confidence, trust us, and hope since the Second World War when we continue to do more of the same without putting in some sort of an alternative dispute resolution mechanism in our, our labor environment. I think it's not right that we have allowed a union to hire principals and to promote deputy principal because we're opening ourselves up for bribery, stealing and corruption. That is the job of government that you can't outsource. I can't be a CEO of Shell and then I outsource hiring my executive team. That's my job, to choose the team that is up to the task because the board has appointed me as the CEO because they think I'm capable at that time, in that moment, in that context. So uh, until and unless we have these conversations, we'll continue kicking the can down the road, spinning around, um, looking tired at the end of the day, but having accomplished very little. When we have been asked, what have you done today? I've been working work. But what have you achieved? A very, very little. Let I'm back to you. Thank you very much for that uh, observation and insight. One thing that is pertinent that you have raised is about, you know, the extent to which justice is always perceived to be delayed because by the time you make a decision, um, so much money would have been lost. But what has been the position of labor um, in terms of meeting business, sound advice, sound um, views on critical issues such as relaxation of labor environment to make it easier for someone who has been uh, found stolen or stealing or thieving to be fired. So these are, it, it, it goes to shows that we still have a very long way to go wherein we've got labor on one side and business on side without really seeing eye to eye on what is in the best interest of the country. Surely there has to be dialogues, conversations with the labor movement on the non-negotiables. 
in any environment, there has to be a non-negotiable. To what extent do you think Busa could drive that conversation um, around the table through NEDLEG and, and other structures where truth is being spoken, honesty is being embraced, particularly on issues around around labor relations, labor labor relations environment, where um, you know unions uh, would meet labor would would meet business government on the non-negotiables. What what would those non-negotiables be? Because that there lies in the problem. You're absolutely correct again, Litebele. So a good example is when labor and business, faith-based organization and civil society came together at the time that we fired Minister of Finance in Tantanene and we said not in our name. We put in Des Van Royen. We call him the weekend special. Because on Monday, uh, President Jacobson was forced to rescind and reverse that decision. We work together. So we are stronger together. Together we can accomplish that which on our own will take us inordinately long. And I think what South Africa needs now, now more than anything else, is a close, personal, intimate working relationship because we're in trouble. So we can't look and say, no, government, it's your side of the boat that's leaking. We are all in the same boat. So as a response, bad to the president's economic reconstruction and recovery plan. Business made 11 commitments to commence substantive engagement to explore all reasonable alternatives to retrenchments in distressed companies and sectors with the intention of developing a detailed set of guidelines and a code of good practice within which retrenchments are the last resort, not the first. We also spoke about reinforcing an ethical culture, including refraining from abuse of dominance, behavior, and excessive pricing. Business organizations are taking firm and decisive action together with law enforcement agencies against private companies and professional service firms in the business community that facilitate collusion and corruption, including state capture. We said to civil society and trade unions, all of us must act against corruption in our own organizations or against officials and office bearers who facilitate corruption, including state capture again. We said we needed to promote genuine entrepreneurship, innovation, and new enterprise creation because we know that, especially when we compare ourselves with our BRICS counterparts, that New jobs are created in larger numbers by SMEs than by established firms, let alone by government. So we, we, we said we, we needed to identify key mining value chains for greater downstream beneficiation and localization. We made a promise that jointly we will develop a new competitive exploration strategy and we said we want to do this within three months to target 30% of global exploration expenditure here in South Africa. We also said we wanted to implement and promote norms and standards for biosafety protocols by the tourism industry. 
But also, you see, Literal, when you've got a, a government that you want to be a capable state, you don't threaten it. You said we want to promote full tax compliance, including taking steps against measures such as transfer pricing, base erosion and profit shifting, non-payment of customs duties and tariffs. Some people who are thinking of tax boycotts and tax evasion through offshore arrangements and use of tax havens. We said all of that must stop. We said we support the commitments made at the presidential investment conferences and the 100 billion industrial financing for enterprise and supply development through the financial sector code. So, I mean, these are tangible things that we wanted to help government uh, to deliver on in the best interest of South Africa, Inc. So, BUSA, together with our sister organization, the Black Business Council, we have made great strides, Litabelle, in forging a working partnership on various key areas affecting business. Key amongst these was the Memorandum of Understanding signed by both BUSA and BBC to maintain a single business caucus at NEDLEC, with the BBC participating in that caucus. When we had fired BBC before, when the leaders at that time were aiding and abetting state capture. So in the area of SME supply and market development, BUSA also entered into a cooperation agreement with the BBC and the United Nations Development Programme. So BUSA has also had various engagements with the Black Management Forum and NAFCOG. NAFCOG, by the way, is the oldest black organization with a view to finding the best model to ensure a unified and inclusive apex business organization. Business needs to be a unifying force that continues to assert its voice clearly, candidly, and honestly, where its legitimacy is unquestionable and has consistent and has consistency. So you see, Little not just superficially rebranded away from an arrogant and tone-deaf white monopoly capital perceived as anti-transformation to one that is fundamentally and demonstrably seen, felt, and experienced as a force for good. Not to be overly eager to support not just kowtow to government, even before business has pushed for its own views in particular, which the government which still defers to a much weakened, fractious, and fractured labor. And by the way, labor is unsparing in its criticism of business. So, and we are also saying the community constituency could be stronger and cohesive. We must graduate critical initiatives like the Job Summit from being just projects to paper over deep structural features in the economy, band aid at best to the now urgent, inclusive socioeconomic growth. We must transform our more than 740 state-owned enterprises and state-owned companies like ESCO into multinationals that are net exporters of integrated energy, not just domestic monopolies. Back to you. Thank you very much, Dr. for for incredible insight on what could be done differently. I do appreciate strategic partnership that you have uh, um, uh, referred to, the, your BMF, your, your, your Black uh, Business Council. Um, these are obviously critical stakeholders 
in the you know, that would aid the country to move with speed towards recovery. But one of the things that I'm just thinking aloud as you were, were articulating this issue is your position in relation to uh, economic endowment, for an example. For one get a sense that there are just too many moving you know, pieces. We, we, we don't have one cohesive strategy that we could all agree on under one roof. Um, to what extent economic endowment, for example, or economic codessa, others would argue that, that that model has worked for, there were a lot of moving parts, politically speaking, but we could learn something from economic codessa uh, by institutionalizing some of those strategic levers that would aid the country emancipation from the the physical cliff that we found ourselves in. Your, your comment on that? So as business, we support an economic endowment because man's greatest accomplishment is through talking and man's greatest failures is through not talking. You see, what has brought this to the fore and into sharp focus is the three weeks that marked our own winter of discontent that exposed a number of truly painful truths. So it is the classical intersectionality amongst many things. One is the wholly inviable society. Fractious, privileged elite in the ruling party. Rampant criminality that we saw on our screens. Lawlessness that has now become an epidemic. The breakdown of services to local communities. But also business in its own introspection to say, but why are we paying below living standard wages? And then on the other hand, genuine widespread societal desperation of the poor. So those three weeks in July, for me, was a rebellion against that capture. Because when your boss steals, you feel also empowered to steal. Absolutely. It, Absolutely. it, it was a rebellion against the stubbornly high levels of inequality. It laid bare the extent of the chasm in the ruling party. It is self-evident that government was taken by surprise, that there was monumental intelligence failure, that security for forces were actually overwhelmed, that the South African police service is grossly under-resourced, under-trained, and ill-prepared. That youth unemployment is the single biggest systemic risk and that at our most vulnerable government is incapable of protecting its citizens. The powder cake, the tinderbox that's going to explode again, it's this youth unemployment at 74.9%. Eight out of ten young people that should be at work are not working. Ten million young people are not in employment, education, or training. Unemployment rate numbers now, it's 11.9 million. That's 12 million people who are unemployed. And only less than 16 million that are gainfully employed. You can see that this is an explosion that is just about to go off. So I think 
the treasonists, arsonists, and thieves that agitated and orchestrated for this must be publicly exposed in a court of law and the guilty sent to prison. But in the short term, we must urgently rebuild our economy to hardwire the required sustainability. In the medium term, we must recreate things like the peace accord and the business trust. In the long term, we must address the welfare of our people away from the grinding, dehumanizing, and self-perpetuating vicious cycle of abject poverty to ensure long-term resilience, to solve and bind the long-festering sores as well as deep and septic wounds. Literally, we must deliver the promised social justice and human rights especially freedom from hunger as we speak about the freedom of speech and the freedom of expression and the freedom of association. We must restore our people's hope because when you started, you said leaders are dealers in hope so that they can also have a stake in the system that also works for them. Protection of the status quo and preservation of the democratic project because this is the unfinished job that all of us must still engage in and be seized with. We need to engender trust that both their unelected leaders and elected leaders genuinely care about their fate, not just about me, myself, I. Because ordinary people who have property to protect don't ordinarily run, run around looting, destroying, and burning other people's businesses and government's property. People yeah. who have their own livelihoods to protect don't destroy livelihoods of others. I'm back to you, Lidere. Thank you very much, Dr. Mahali, for, for, for that insight that you've just given us. Um, we are joined by Bonang Mahali in his capacity as the uh, Business Unity South Africa uh, president, unfortunately, we we have run out of time, Dr. Mahali. These issues are very complex, they're multi-layered, and they certainly require sober minds, sober hearts to confront them for what they are. And I have absolutely no doubt that your leadership, alongside that of um, Adrian Gore, will certainly add fresh perspective on these grinding issues. We certainly need labor, we certainly need government, we certainly need active civil society around the table to discuss these issues that you have eloquently uh, put forward. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, Dr. Mahali. It has been an absolute pleasure having you, and I certainly hope, and I know for a fact, that the listener has been given food for thought. The listener's hope has been restored through your words. I thank you. Kiali <laughs> 